The views expressed in this program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of 94.9 CHRW. Men have died. Nations have split themselves asunder on the terrible rock of slavery. Yet it still exists today. Word had reached the United Nations Council that the age-old bartering in human lives was flourishing behind the great wastes of the Arabian desert. Slaves were being stolen from along the coast and sold to the Turag chieftains like cattle in the market. These coastal peoples have their own very definite facial characteristics and close-up photographs of them taken on the spot would be identification and proof enough of their slavery. The cities of that remote land are not touched by modern civilization. They are a feudal society, still living in the Middle Ages. The Mukta of the holy city of Medai was one of the Turek chieftains, reputed to be the master of many slaves. My name is Spooner. Yes, I'm an Englishman, my dear fellow. Please believe me, there's nothing in this town for you, except death. Me in particular. You're a Ferenci, an unbeliever. This is a holy city. Uh, you're a Ferenci too, eh? Oh, no, on the contrary, I am a true believer. Greatly respected for my virtue. I've even made the pilgrimage to Mecca. Some cup. Uh, oh, thank you. you. Join me. A true believer does not take alcohol. I was counting on that. Oh, my luck hasn't been too good of late. But there are business opportunities, you know, even in places as remote as this. Buying, selling, trading, uh, certain merchandise is very hard to come by nowadays. It's very rewarding, but also very illegal. And do you think I might be able to help you? Well, you could arrange a meeting with the Mukta. Mr... Uh, Drake. Mr. Drake. I must confess to two dislikes. Women in general and sodden individuals like yourself in particular. <coughs> in Medi, there is room for exactly one white man. I'm sure you will agree that I have prior claims. You'd like me to leave now? My blessings would go with you. And if I don't? You'll never leave this town. <sighs> when I was a little boy, I was afraid of bogeymen. Good luck to you, sir. <laughs> Morning, London. It's Thursday, June 4th, 2015. I'm Bob Metz. And I'm Robert Vaughn. And this is Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM. Where we will be with you from now until noon. No, it's not right, Wing. It's Just Right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. Welcome to the show today. It's going to be an interesting one because we have on the line uh, Bosch Faustin, who is the winner of the Draw Muhammad contest. That was the uh, um, impetus for such a terrorist attacks in Garland, Texas. Hello, Bosch. Are you there? Yes, I am. How are you? We're great. We appreciate you taking the time to join us today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. I think what I think we should start off with is, um, if you could, tell us about the contest uh, that led up 
to the shooting in Garland. Uh, you understand that you won uh, the prize money. Who put it on, and uh, what was their intention? It was uh, Pamela Geller. It was, uh, it was uh, AFDI, the American Freedom Defense Initiative, her uh, organization. And basically, it was, uh, it was post-Charlie Hebdo massacre, and it was, um, it was a, a, a conference at the same event, at the same place, uh, the uh, Caldwell Center. The, uh, I forgot the exact name. I'm sorry about that. But it was the Muslim get-together that was trying to defend the Prophet, I guess, against cartoons a few months after uh, Charlie Hebdo. So Pamela Geller decided, well, you know what? We're going to have an event at the same exact place and uh, exercise our freedom of speech. Um, because the fact is, when human beings are massacred for drawing cartoons, and Muslims, the only thing they do in response is defend their prophet, and not civilization, not in, in, in the place that they live, there's a real problem there. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not just talking about the jihadist terror, you know, the jihadists, I'm talking about the average Muslims. So Pamela Geller decided to um, respond in an aggressive way, but in an appropriate way to a massacre of cartoonists. Thirteen human beings lost their lives, were butchered by jihadists over drawing Muhammad cartoons, and her response was to draw more Muhammad cartoons. And there were a lot more. Over 300 entries were uh, sent in, and uh, I decided to enter. I've been drawing Muhammad for years. Uh, I drew him, uh, you know, after the first time I drew him was after the Danish cartoons. Uh, the Danish cartoons came out, and then after every massacre, after every atrocity having to do with Charlie Hebdo and whatnot, because Charlie Hebdo got there, uh, all this is firebombed in 2011. Right. I remember drawing a cartoon in, uh, you know, in honor of Charlie Hebdo. And uh, so I, I entered it, and uh, I decided to try to do something a little different than I normally have done. I've drawn Muhammad so many different iterations, but I decided uh, just to draw. And I was, as I was drawing him, I said, how about if I have him threatening me directly, threatening me, the artist, who's actually drawing him? And I thought that was an interesting take. It and is, so and um, it, if our listeners uh, want to go to our website, what we'll do, Bosch, unlike a lot of the other visual media out there, we will put up your winning drawing as the iconic uh, image for this show, so that people can see. I really what, appreciate it. Yeah, so people can see exactly what uh, what causes. Exactly, a lot because of you know what? I, I just have to add. I'm sorry, by not showing my cartoon. Uh, while they discuss it, the media across the board, including Fox News, which is the alleged most powerful name in news. Uh -huh. That's how they refer themselves as. Not only are they, you know, disobeying to Islamic norms, but they're also making it seem as if it's too obscene to show. Right. Well, actually, potentially endangering me further. Yeah, we're, I intend to get into that in a little more depth later on. But yeah. um, So the contest, uh, how many people were there for the uh, presentation of the award? I understand that you won $12,500 for your drawing. Yep. yep, and there was about 200 people there. Uh, some media reports try to say there was only 75. There was about 200 people there. 200 people. And uh, yep. there were about 300 entries for the contest itself. They had a whole gallery of Muhammad drawings and paintings across the centuries, uh, new cartoons for the event other cartoons that they had from, from the Danish cartoonists, and it was, uh, it was a great event. It was, was it? a great event. It was a, a, a great exercise of a freedom of speech. Was it um, uh, filmed and or videoed in any way? Yes. Oh, yes. Uh, Tom Trento from the United West filmed the entire um, event, and at one point, I think, the camera continued showing an empty room after the attack. Oh, I so see. So it, it was like a two hours of, of, uh, of film with an empty room. 
But he did, uh, he shot the entire thing. He had pre-interviews before the actual event. And then he had all of the speeches, which I was uh, honored to take part in myself. And uh, it was a great event. And someone told me after the fact, I said, well, I'm sorry, those, those guys ruined it. I said, those guys ruined it. They didn't ruin it. They capped it off. Because the fact is, we did what we do as civilized human beings, and they did what they do as savages. They made your and it point. Was completely in one night. It capped off the whole thing. It basically justified the whole event, the whole purpose of it. We are under siege here mm-hmm. by savages who want to shut us up. Is there a place on the internet that we can go to see the uh, video of that? Yes, uh, I, I believe it's, it, it's on YouTube. Uh, Tom Trento, the United West. Uh, one of the videos I guess in the last month, and uh, it's the main video. It's it's, it's hours long because of again they the, the cameras they kept rolling when when we were taken into a, a safer room. But yeah, for I think it's about an hour, the entire event, an hour and a half. Very good. So YouTube, Tom Tom Trento, check it out. Tom Trento, United West on YouTube. I'm sure it'll be there. Yes. Um, we're going to go cut to a, a short break here t- um, now, Bosch. And when we come back, uh, perhaps you can give us your uh, well, your own impressions and, about the shooting. And, and the thing about this break, too, is that it affects how the news was covered, you know, because you're calling this a great event, and I'm looking at a lot of our, our news coverage up here, and they're saying, right. you know, Pamela Geller, patriot or provocateur, you know, yeah. and, all, and all of this stuff that... Uh, I was really amazed at the negative response, both positive. It was a very mixed response by our local media. They said, yeah, you have a right to do what you're doing, but you're crazy to do it, and you're just provoking the other side. So I think we want to talk about that issue and and exactly what the media focuses on in its general Issues. Well, from my from my point mm-hmm. of view, the media is our responsibility as Westerners. It's we're facilitating what's going on by not yes. doing the proper job of reporting the news properly. So uh, let's go, go so to here, these here, clips. Here, yeah, here's an insight of how the news <laughs> items are actually selected, and this is from the infamous Mary Tyler Moore show. Remember that one? Yeah, I do. <laughs> Let me know when they get to the story on the apartment house fire. I want to see what kind of film the new cameraman came up with. I'm glad you finally gave Alan an assignment. Lou, you sent the kid out on a big story like that. You got to start somewhere. Mm. At around four this afternoon, fire broke out on the top floor of an apartment house on 3rd Street. It took two hours to get the fire under control, as you can see in this exclusive film report. Uh, Mr. Grant, here's that film you wanted to see. Two families were trapped on the roof. Shouldn't Alan have taken pictures of the people on the roof? Or at least the fire. (laughs) What is that? Oh, uh, it's a brick. (laughs) It's a close-up of a brick. (laughs) And it's got ants crawling all over it. (laughs) The smoke became so thick in the halls that the frantic tenants were urged to jump into the safety nets below. (laughs) What's that? It's a brick. With ants crawling all over it. I can see their ants. I want to know why we're showing them instead of the fire. Murray, why did you let this film go on? Did you think this was a National Geographic special? Don't blame me. The kid brought the film in as we were going on the air. And it just didn't occur to me to check to see if there were any ants on it. Uh, Mary, where is Alan? Uh, well, uh, he's in the control booth, I think. Uh, tell him I'd like to see him when he gets a chance. Come in. 
were you sent out to cover? The fire? That's right. <laughs> now, I'm telling myself that this is your first job, so maybe I'm expecting too much of you to know a fire when you see one. <laughs> fire is where there's a lot of smoke. <laughs> fire is what those big red trucks are usually parked in front of. Fire is red and hot. And the fire is news. I know what a fire is. Okay. Okay. I know what happened. You put the wrong lens on your camera. You thought you were shooting the whole building, but you were getting a close-up of the ants. It was an accident. It but... wasn't an accident. What? Well, I, I was making a comment by showing the ants. You did that on purpose? I was showing how just a few feet away from the fire, life goes on. <laughs> Why not show that just a few feet away from the ants, there's a fire going on? <laughs> So I, I think the point to learn from that particular clip is that uh, life goes on, but what was that? That was a cameraman trying to prove a point that was against the actual news that was going on, and I think that the media out there, Fox especially, as you say, Bosch, yep. are trying to prove a point that's well, not editorializes. <laughs> editorializing, yeah. <laughs> yeah now, yep. can you give us your eyewitness report <laughs> of the uh, the Garland shooting? Now, I, I understand you probably didn't even see it because the guys didn't get past no. their car, which is great, but um, yep. can you tell us what happened? Sure. I was there, and uh, it, was, it was after the entire event and the speeches, and uh, after that, I was pretty much inundated by media. I think it was uh, NBC and CNN and some others. Uh, I was doing some interviews, and I, uh, I felt great. I mean, I, I won the award. It was, uh, it was great to stand up there with uh, Herb Builders and Pamela Geller and Robert Spencer on the stage with them, and it was, just, it was fantastic. And then I'm there, and I'm, doing, I'm in the middle of an interview, I think, with, uh, with, with uh, CNN, and my friend comes up to me and goes, there's an attack. I said, an attack? And the first thing I thought about was <laughs> missing my flight. <laughs> That's how, I guess, oblivious and also surreal it was. Because he said, he had to remind me, there's an attack. I said, oh, okay. Of course, of course, of course. So they took us all into this, this area that was a little safer. They had a SWAT team, about six individuals completely fully armed. Um, and there was a number of of, of the security guards that I didn't know were, were guards until after the fact because they were wearing regular, regular clothing. And it was, uh, I, I think surreal is a too small a word, but it was just, it, you expect this kind of moment of truth to hit if you do the kind of work I do. If you tell the truth about Islam, if you tell the truth about Jihad, if you tell the truth, if you draw Muhammad, there's all in the back of your head, no matter what, that someone might come and do what they do and put you down. And uh, it finally came, you know, to head. That's the first time I've ever been in an event. And I think even Robert Spencer expressed that it was the first time in his dozen years of going to events that this like this happened. So it was a strange thing, but also just a, a reminder we are at war. And these two guys fancied themselves as soldiers in that war. And so just, it was um, scary, but also just, uh, you know, it was fitting. I mean, this is what they do. This is what we do. We have events about free speech and drawing and civilization, and they butcher. And uh, when I found out, I'm I'm in a back room. I'm with, I'm with one of this one of the security guards. When I found out that they were put down, I popped my fist. I was ecstatic because <laughs> evil was put down. The only ones who 
who died were those looking to kill. I even tweeted not long after that, I said, they came to kill us and die for it, justice. And the papers put that up as their title, you know, trying to smear me. And I, I said, smear me. I'm proud, of, I'm proud of that tweet. Yes. Well, they also managed to, to give the cause a greater publicity. I mean, you couldn't have bought more publicity yeah. than having an event like Absolutely that. Right. So, so in that sense, the event was a backfire for them, pardon the pun. But, uh, Absolutely right. Do, do, do you I'm think, sorry, one, do you think this event they, would have... Sorry? Go ahead. I'm sorry. They tried, to, they tried to suggest that, Pamela, it was a failed event. The fact is, the jihadists and the Western media made the cartoon, made the events far bigger than Native women. It's, it was, it's, it, if they want to blame someone about this continually being discussed, it's their fault. If they want to blame someone. Well, it's funny you say that because, you know, I'm, I'm looking at a quote that we had, that I have here from one of our local radio talk show hosts on another station here. His name's Tom McConnell, but he's, he was referring on the day after the event, he says, of the two groups, one is stupid, the American Freedom Defense Initiative, for having a draw Muhammad caricature contest, but even more so, the two guys that try to kill the people having the contest, that's far worse. And... He says, the bad that this group is just provoking, they have a right to free speech in the end, it's just an image, that's all. And he doesn't understand, is it really about an image? Because it seems to me that no one really knows what Muhammad looks like, and if someone were to draw a picture yeah. of a stick man, uh, that would be okay, but if you called it Muhammad, that would be the transgression. Yeah. And I understand it doesn't matter if the image is flattering or if it's critical, right. it's still offensive, Absolutely. am I correct? And that's the whole thing, but it is convoluted uh, across Islamic history. I mean, the, the, the Shiites were more known to have visualizations of Muhammad across centuries. And sometimes there were flattering ones. And, but the fact is, I think, in this day and age, in 2015, when there's a jihad being waged against a weak Western world, they want to control everything we do. And they sure as hell don't want infidels drawing their profits in any kind of way, whether it's positive or negative, especially negative, I mean, no doubt. Mm -hmm. But that's the thing. Um, right now, they're feeling their oats. They're feeling strong, and this is what they're doing. They're flexing their muscles. If they were weaker, they probably wouldn't have done this. But right now, they know we're weak, and they're trying to control what we do. And if they can control us here, then it's over. It is over, because without free speech, we cannot tell the truth. We cannot fight. We cannot act on that truth and destroy them eventually. And they understand that to some extent. And that's why they, they keep gunning for us. And uh, the disgusting thing is that a lot of us are submitting from our media. I mean, there's no major news media network in America. We've got the alternative media, like on, on the Blaze, Glenn Beck's Blaze, which showed it. So I, I was on and they showed it. I'm talking about the Fox News, the CNN, NBC, ABC, CBS. Every single last one has not shown it. Well, not this only that, but on Fox TV, you've had Bill O'Reilly basically saying yeah. that you and Pamela Geller are to blame for the death of these two yeah. men. You know, they turned it's it around. What were your opinions about Bill Riley's statement? Well, I, I think he's a disgrace. I think he's a coward. I think he, he has said he has defended Muhammad. He has defended Obama. He said about Muhammad, I don't, I don't believe Muhammad went out to uh, uh, force Islam on people. And he doesn't believe that based on what? Based on his illusions? He, he thinks of Barack Obama, the liar-in-chief, one of the biggest liars in history, no exaggeration, is an honest man, and then he smears us. He calls us idiots. He calls us, you know, he says, there's a better way to do it. What better way, Bill? 
The fact is, we are defending free speech, and you're not. He is the... Uh, He's basically submitting to Islamic norms by not showing the cartoon. And also one thing, if there's a presumption there on their part that if they merely show it, they'll be targeted. I don't, I mean, whether that happens or not, I don't know. But think about what they're saying about Muslims. They're trying to put all Muslims in the same category. One point, whatever Muslims they like to say that there isn't in the world, that they all equally are offended. And that's offensive because there are Muslims in the West who understand civilization, who have naturally been edified by the Western civilization to the point where they can look at that and may, they may not like it, but they won't do anything about it. I think it's time to and let people know that... Uh, otherwise. It's time to pe- let people know about your credentials, um, to, if, if you want to use that word. Um, you build yourself as a recovered Muslim yourself. You were born, I think, in the Bronx yeah. to a what may, some people might call a moderate Muslim family who occasionally went yeah. to mosque. Um, and after 9-11, I mean, in your hometown, basically, with the uh, fall of the Trade Towers, um, you then, only then, really became involved in studying Islam, reading the Quran, finding out what it's all right. about, to find out why these terrorists destroyed a part of New York City. Is that right? Yes, yes. I mean, I was, I was born and raised, and as I, as I often say, it was a moderate upbringing, quote-unquote, but misogyny, the Jew hatred was absolutely immoderate. It was an understanding that those outside the home were the others. They were separate from us. They were inferior to us. And uh, so that's, it's, no matter how, even if you're not devout, you are still poisoned by, by these ideas, which is really terrible, I mean, even in the West. And people are shocked by that, and they, even ex-Muslims don't, don't talk about it. And I don't know why. Maybe they're embarrassed. Maybe they, they feel poisoned by it, when the fact is, it's the truth. You are told that Hitler was a great man because he killed more Jews than anyone. So uh, that's why I refer to Adolf Hitler as Islam's favorite infidel. Mm-hmm. They forgive him his infidelity because he killed more Jews than anyone, and he was working in the in the name of Islam in that sense. So yeah, post 9-11 is the only time I really took Islam seriously. When we went to mosque when we were kids, we lived in the Bronx. We drove out to uh, Brooklyn Mosque maybe twice a year. It was you know really moderate, but when we went there. Uh, the, the Albanians there, they didn't take it seriously, and they used to fart in the middle of the of, of the procession when the Arab imam was, you, you just get pissed off. And I used to be pissed off myself, because I thought it was supposed to be a, a serious event. Mm-hmm. And as I often say, as a matter of fact, they, I, I think they gave it the respect it deserved, but whatever. Um, after that is when I took it seriously. And I said, I want to find out if these guys who flew, who flew those planes into those buildings were devout Muslims, were in sync with what Islam required of them, and I found out that they did. And it's, um, it's, a, it's a thing that we need to believe otherwise. It's a thing that the West need desperately to believe that Islam means peace. Because the fact is, Muslims have been lying to us for a long time that Islam means peace, but coupled with our desire to believe it, that's why it, that, that's why it becomes part of the culture. That's why it's become the big lie today. If we didn't want to believe it, it wouldn't get over on us the way it has. Very interesting. We're at the bottom of the hour already. Bosch, we've got to take a quick break for a couple of minutes, and we will return with our conversation with Bosch Faustin following this. No, no, Phyllis, I can talk. I've been really quiet around here today. Mary, get a camera crew downtown right away. Just this minute, Phyllis, I'll call you back. Mr. Grant, we don't have a camera crew available. There's one covering the riot at the prison, and I can't locate the other one. The biggest story of the week breaks, and we're doing a prison riot? Uh, what's the story? There's a major traffic jam. A major traffic jam? Uh, 
Mr. Grant, why is the traffic jam more important than the prison riot? You are so lucky. I am going to tell you everything I know about news. It's worth taking notes. Oh. Don't take notes. <laughs> why is the traffic jam more important than a prison riot? Hmm? How many people would you say are in a prison riot? Uh, offhand? How many? Uh, 50. How many in a traffic jam? Oh, I see. No, you don't. A lot of those people in that traffic jam are gonna go home and watch the news, right? Right. Those guys in the prison riot aren't gonna be watching the news. They're gonna be over the wall or in solitary. Uh, yeah, I want you to answer these letters. Spam mail? Not exactly. <laughs> Dear sir, the six o'clock news is an insult to my intelligence and a disgrace to television. I am not going to watch the show anymore. And neither are my mommy and daddy. <laughs> Did you ever get a hate letter written in crayon? <laughs> Welcome back. You're listening to Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM, where if you go to our website at justrightmedia.org, you can send us an email at feedback at justrightmedia.org, follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and subscribe to us on iTunes. We're on the line with Bosch Faustin, who bills himself as a recovered Muslim. He's a graphic artist, which we'll get into in a a little bit, and uh, he's the winner of the first Draw Muhammad contest which um, was attacked in Garland, Texas. Um, a month Bosch, ago yesterday, actually. It was that? A month ago yesterday. One I month think. ago yesterday, yeah. yeah. Bosch, um, I understand that the organizers of the contest actually hired 40 uh, armed guards for the event, and um, the police there, the FBI, um, SWAT, local, uh, were all involved on another level, and there was, uh, I think, at least six SWAT teams, uh, SWAT team members yeah. there. Who, who were the ones who actually did the uh, the killing of the two terrorists? Um, could you tell me what's your impression? I think, actually, uh, I think it was actually a cop. A cop shot them both dead. A local cop. I, I, I've been watching some of the news. The uh, the uh, chief of police for Garland came out and said that while the cop did shoot both of them, yes, um, it was the SWAT team who were there ten seconds later who uh, did the final killing. Whether that happened or not, okay. I I don't know. But um, uh, what's your it's impression of the way that it was handled? But whatever, that's fine. Yeah. Uh, hey. You, I don't know for sure. <laughs> I wasn't there. Yeah. But um, what's right. your impression of the way it was handled by the police? Great. I mean, they saved lives. They did their job. They're supposed to protect us. I think it's just, it's, it, it, it's fantastic. And these two idiots, they went to a place that was a little too far away for them to pull their Allahu Akbar. I think they had to run up to a certain section. And uh, I think we went a little later, if I'm not mistaken, I think we went a little later. And they, I guess, got panicked and said, we got to do it now. And they ran out there, and Allahu Akbar and all that, and got shot down as they deserved. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I was noticing in the paper that, uh, I have a headline here, accused gunmen known to FBI, and apparently these guys had a bit of a record. Yes. And it's, you know, contrary to what some people are saying, that you guys were acting as provocateurs and bringing them out, I'm almost thinking... Is it not possible that by bringing them out, you may have saved hundreds or thousands of <laughs> lives? True. Because these guys have been taken, Absolutely you know. Right. Uh, yeah. th- that's how I look at it. And I'm thinking, no, I mean, gee, maybe it, we should it, have more events like this. Yes, let's have more events. These guys, 
<laughs> yeah, these guys were not sitting home playing video games. They were planning to do something. And they figured, okay, let's do it here. And it's good that they did it there because there was massive security. Whereas another place might not have had the massive, massive uh, security. Precisely, and that's why I thought, wow, this this was almost an ideal way to to, to entrap such people. Right. <laughs> no, I think <laughs> if you could right. if you could plan it, that sure sure surely. Yeah. You know. And if people there think was that a, a visual stone made of a rat trap with my cartoon in it, I thought that was pretty brilliant. Was that Bosch? A rat trap with his cartoon <laughs> in it. <laughs> perfect. That's very, that's perfect. Because, actually, I think yeah. uh, that uh, the Muslims, especially over in uh, the Middle East, use the rat to symbolize uh, Jews. Oh, dear. Right. So I think that there's a bit right. of a, an irony there. But I, I understand yeah. that one of the shooters, at least, uh, I don't know about the guy named Sufi, but Simpson, the, one of the shooters, was actually uh, American-born, I think, in Illinois, yeah. um, converted to Islam, uh, practiced at the Islamic Center in Phoenix, Arizona, as did Sufi, I yeah. understand, um, which was, um, so this is homegrown terrorism, and yeah, that particular center was the site of a protest just a couple of days ago by armed uh, protesters showing up, uh, showing their disgust for what's going on. Um, is that particular yeah. center, do you know if that center is a hotbed for uh, jihad uh, teachings? I don't know, but what I do know is this is that every single last imam in the world knows Islam. He knows that Islam requires jihad to enforce it. He knows that. So whether his flock knows that, he knows it. So he understands that he is pushing an ideology that, in essence, is at war with the civilized world. Whether he individually engages in it, that's one thing. But when these guys go to his mosque, these quote-unquote radicals, when they're radicalized by this, they hear things that, you know, encourage them to wage jihad. And, you know, they, they never have to answer for that, which is pretty sick, because the fact is there are passages in the Quran, there are passages in the Hadith and other that demand the Muslims take up arms against others. I think that and that imam understands it explicitly. So he's not an innocent, mm -hmm. in that sense. He's not an innocent, and that's why I think we've got to take a, a hard look at these individuals, because a lot of them are funded by the Saudis. Eighty percent of, of Moss in America yes. are quote-unquote radicalized, mm -hmm. according to a Muslim who traveled the entire country. You know, he's a civilized Muslim. He, uh, I forgot his name, I'm sorry. But he has uh, expressed this. Eighty percent are quote-unquote radicalized, meaning eighty percent are in sync with what Islam requires. Right. Getting back to the the news, and I, this is my particular um that's why I'm upset over this whole thing, is, is, is the way we cover it ourselves. The media, I think, are complicit in facilitating acts of terrorism like this <clears throat> by giving yeah. in to the, uh, to the terrorist demands and the demands, Absolutely. you know, by not showing your artwork, by, uh, by, per by suggesting, as uh, Greta Van Susteren did on Fox News, um, mm -hmm. that, like she said, that Geller was putting police officers' lives in danger for, for yeah. holding a free speech <laughs> event. Yeah. That's ridiculous. And also one thing, I was on her show, She want, uh, her producer wanted to show my cartoon. They asked for the file, mm -hmm. all that. It was, it, was, it was a day after. I was supposed to be on, uh, on Matt Lauer, on NBC. I was, I was in the air at the time. I could do it. Then I was supposed to be on Sean Hannity. They bumped me. So then Greta had me on. Mm -hmm. And I was going on with the understanding that they would show my cartoon. And right before, they did not show it. Right. 
So that's after that, I made my decision to not go on any TV program about this subject without my cartoon. Therefore, what happens? You know, I get no more real invites. I got uh, two two times on CNN they invited me on NBC, and I told them no. I said if, if I, my cartoon doesn't appear, I don't appear. Right. Because the fact is, you can't talk around this. You have to. This is the news. This is a newsworthy cartoon. You ought to show it. Has any TV station and, shown you know, it? The idea is, well, we'll be killed if we show it. I said, look, they want, they've threatened me. They've threatened my life. They, they, they've threatened the lives of the organizers. If every news channel shows it, it's a, an act of strength against the enemy. It shows them to hell with you and your Islamic norms. We are, we are civilized people. We, we cartoon Muhammad. That's what we do. And you kill those who cartoon Muhammad, well, we will have to kill those who kill those who cartoon Muhammad. Uh, and instead, they have submitted. And they have the power of, uh, of influence that we don't have. This, you know, and again, as the worst case is Fox News, who fancies themselves the most powerful mm-hmm. name in news. Mm-hmm. And they're running scared. And the enemy sees this and says, excellent, excellent, we have this. It's no, it's... Going. It's no because, mistake uh, that the know, word Islam actually they means are, they're submit. Isolating they're isolating individuals, right? Like me, like Pamela, like Robert, and have others, which is a dangerous thing, yeah. because that's what happened to Charlie Hebdo. They isolated them, and they found their address, and they go there and they kill them all. But it's no, it's just no coincidence that the word Islam itself means submission. Well, yes. you know, the media issue is even worse than just not covering things. It's how far they go to avoid the issue or redefine it. I'm looking at an article by Michael Corrin on this very issue that appeared in the National Post here in Canada on May 8th. And he writes that this, this attack was entirely inevitable. And forgive me, surely what some people involved in the event had hoped would happen. Denial is pointless. This is Michael Korn, and I'm just going to read a couple more lines and then ask you about it. Denial is pointless, he writes, and redundant to any informed intelligent discussion, but it's how we respond to the emerging conflict that defines us. Are we defenders of genuine freedom of speech or mere shameless provocateurs? The Draw Muhammad contest was not an attempt to start a conversation, but a single act of bravado. There has never been an end game or required result, only a scream that Muslims must change and must accept whatever they see unacceptable and not complain about it. We're playing a dangerous game of absolutes. Is, now that, that's basically, you know, you wonder why you're not getting, not, not, not just not getting the right coverage, but you're actually getting opposition from a Western media. This is a guy that usually talks about freedom of speech. And now here he is condemning this. Absolutely disgraceful. And one thing also, I noticed one thing. There are some religionists out there, like Laura Ingram, who keep saying, I want my religion to be insulted. She's an idiot. Mm. Absolute idiot. We are in the middle of a war here with individuals who butcher those who draw cartoons. This is not a gratuitous, quote-unquote, insult. I never set out to draw Muhammad. I didn't give a damn to draw Muhammad. After the Danish cartoonists were threatened, after Charlie Hebdo individuals were butchered is when I drew Muhammad. I never woke up one day, you know what, I'm going to draw Muhammad for the hell of it. Just to needle some Muslims. They kill us. That's why I draw Muhammad. Greta Van Susten said, aren't you scared? I said, sure. But the reason why I draw Muhammad is because they kill us. That's the only reason I ever drew Muhammad. Because they kill us. Because that is an insane idea. And it has to be fought by drawing Muhammad again and again and again. 
Agreed. You know, if draw Muhammad can get you killed, what do you do? You draw Muhammad. Exactly. It's not the point to be killed. It's the point that this is intolerable. This is absolutely intolerable. You know, Bosch. It's not, it's not only the media, though, who are on side with the Islamists or um, the terrorists. Garland Mayor Douglas Athos said, um, Geller's actions put my police officers, my citizens, and others at risk. Her program invited an incendiary reaction. <clears throat> she picked my community, which does not support in any shape, passion, or form her ideology. Pamela Geller's ideology is freedom of speech. So he doesn't yes. support it. As an American. Well, this is, again, it's, it's, a, it's absolutely disgraceful. And the idea is, the, uh, again, the whole context of, of, of where war is like, it's like the New York Times wrote post-Garland. Free speech aside, it's like, it's not free speech aside. That's the point here. Mm-hmm. It's the prohibition to draw Muhammad that has to be fought. Muslims cannot draw Muhammad forever. They don't want to draw Muhammad, don't draw Muhammad. We're not Muslim. We don't, we're not, we don't abide by Islamic law. And again, we are at war. And the idiot mayor and others who say this, we are at war. The reason why we do this is because of that. We are defending our culture, our norms against theirs. And Pamela Geller's quote-unquote ideology, he doesn't talk about the ideology that led those two scumbags to Charles Mudros. Mm-hmm. That is on the way, that is, that, that's irrelevant. It's about Pamela Geller's ideology. And by the, for the record, those who've been smearing Pamela Geller, it was, it, was, it was released as a news that one of the uh, jihadists in Boston wanted to behead her. He planned to behead her. Right. And those who keep smearing her, they have to stop and think for a second. She didn't do anything wrong. She does what, what freedom fighters do. We, we are threatened, and you fight back. Not through violence, but through speech, through cartoons. She's a great activist. And I, my respect for her has incredibly risen post-Garland in particular. The way she's handled herself after the fact, the assaults. I mean, we were, we were attacked that night by terrorists and post-Garland. We've been attacked every single day by the media, by the culture, by, the, uh, by politicians. It's disgraceful. And again, I mean, I, I threw a challenge out there to all the 2016 candidates for president. I said, if you truly support free speech, share my cartoon on social media, mm-hmm. Facebook, Twitter, whatever. Do it if you really believe in free speech. You know, there was a, uh, an actual very flattering comment about Pamela Geller in the National Post as well, written by a letter writer, Stuart Lawton, who wrote, quote, the ultimate target of her campaigns is not Islam, but us. She's putting her life in peril yes. to warn us of the totalitarianism of jihad and its utter incompatibility with free expression. Is that correct? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely right. I mean, again, people are, I got Muslims. By the way, post-Garland, post the quote-unquote moderate Muslims have been telling the most immoderate lies to themselves, to us, about what Islam means, what jihad means. It's really embarrassing. And as I put it, the jihadists are trying to kill us, and the moderate Muslims are trying to bore me to death. <laughs> they, they say Allahu Akbar, and it's really annoying, because not one has come up to me and said, I disagree with you, John Muhammad, but I will fight to the death for your freedom to do so. None of them, not one has said that. And that's also an, an eye-opener, because, I mean, you know, the silence of Muslims is one thing, but when you hear them explicitly come out and condemn you, a cartoonist, for doing what you do, it's damning to them, because they are siding with, with, with the enemy. And, uh, and there's also one thing I want I want yes. to say about that. I'm sorry. It was about uh, you mentioned something about uh, Muslims, and I'm sorry. I go on. Sorry. 
we're, we're going to take a little break and what we what we'll do when we come back i guess is talk about uh, bosch faust and if you are a graphic artist of course and this is the way that you are fighting this war by uh your means which is by the pen uh when we come back yep. from this little break let's talk about um your upcoming work be back right after this yeah, we're going to take a break now for a slightly fictional account of jihad and arranged marriages civil war a religion that institutionalizes the persecution of females and is insanely brutal and vicious believe it or not this is from the show the relic hunter be back in two minutes there's a sultan sydney if only the circumstances were different. Your Highness. Oh, that's the way to treat an old friend. What happened? I spoke to her only two days ago. You have to excuse me, Sydney. Hindustan has been dealt a terrible blow. Danielle's death has thrown the entire country into turmoil. I can imagine. No, you can't. There are even wild rumors flying that her death was an attack against my government. Was it? We have traditionists. They are opposed to my social reforms. It's even called for a holy war, a jihad, to return Endostan to its former ways. But if Hakim Mustafa was to hear that you are looking for the star... Hakim Mustafa? The leader of the Taladin? Alia is to marry his son, Jamal. It's been arranged. The Taladin are your mortal enemies. I have no son, Sydney, to assume the throne. The only way to prevent a civil war of succession that will tear this country apart is for Alia to marry Jamal Mustafa. Why? Because the Taladin practice a religion that basically institutionalizes the physical abuse of females. Some would say that's merely their culture according to holy law. Based on an interpretation by a few men of a holy book that's meant to bring goodness to men and women. Right, I admit it's insanely brutal and vicious. It's still your rule. Never get involved in politics. I just broke it. 9-11 was a big event in your life, Bosch, and I think it was probably the uh, the incendiary thing that, that drove you to uh, to your art, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Yes, and, it was. and what, what have was, you come uh, up with recently? I was an amateur cartoonist. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, pre-9-11, I was going to school in New York. And I remember the night before I was going to an, an inking class in, in New York City, and it rained like hell. Next day I wake up, my sister calls me, put on a television, I saw the horror, I saw the human beings jumping out of, out, out of the towers, and I knew at that point I would have to respond to it with my art. And so I started thinking about superheroes and comics, and Captain America was the one that shot right to my mind, because he's the icon of America, and America was attacked, therefore, how about Captain America? And then it, it really hit me that Marvel would never allow me to do that, so I started thinking about my background. And as I refer to it, and the Islamic pigotry against, uh, you know, pigs and pork, and pigs are disgusting creatures. And I said, how about if I m symbolize a uh, hero against Jihad dressed up in pigskin leather, he's an ex-Muslim, 
big guys, ruthless, it's also one thing, everything about Islam, the pig is forbidden, eating pork is considered immoral, uh, cutting heads off is moral. Just, just that contrast. Mm-hmm. And just to show also that the idea that if Muslims come in contact with a pig, they're, they're unclean, therefore might not make it to paradise. And that's what pig man uses. He advertises it very loudly that he wears pigskin leather, so that's why when they see him, they almost, not almost, in the, in, in the third issue, they, they kill themselves before making contact with him. They think they can, they can save their souls to go, to go to paradise. But yeah, so post 9-11, I started to study Islamism. My life depended on it, and that's when I, I decided to make it in my story called The Infidel. It's about twin brothers, Killian Duke and Salam Duka, and post 9-11, uh, Salam completely submits to Islam, he becomes a born-again Muslim, and Killian decides to use his art against jihad by creating Pigman, the, the, icon, the icon against jihad. And they have an escalating conflict of brothers, which is amplified in the Pigman story with his war against super jihad. I'm sure that your cartoons, uh, your graphic novels, are a little cathartic as well for yourself, are they not? Oh, big time. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I, I'm an artist, so you know, I'm, I'm not on the battlefield, but I want to see certain things happen that have never happened and that we're not shown what happens out there. So I had a few ideas about what we ought to do, just as a cartoonist. I'm not a military guy, I don't know, but what I want to have happen to this enemy and what needs to happen, what needs to be said, what needs to happen, and through my pigman character, I do it. And it is definitely cathartic. You started off with uh, Table for One, I understand. What was that What was that yes. about? It was uh, 2004, published. Uh, I had a publisher who was about to publish it. It was uh, a, big, a big publisher. And it fell through, so I decided to self-publish it. I was nominated for an Eisner Award, which is considered the quote-unquote Oscars of comics. Mm-hmm. And it was it was great being nominated. I got to meet Will Eisner himself. It was, uh, I think, a, a year before he died. And, uh, you know, after that, uh, 9-11, uh, you know, post-9-11, my, my thing was to try to get Pigman out there in some capacity. The first time anyone ever saw Pigman was 2005 at the San Diego Comic-Con. I had a little mini poster that said, when will comics take on jihad? When pigman flies, like when <laughs> when, a, when a pig fly. Right, yeah. And people were a little curious about it. You know, it was a few years after nine eleven. I didn't get any real heat for it. They they smiled. You know, it had a knowing look to me because there was still this idea that we are in a war. We're going to fight this enemy, and I think that's long gone in, in a lot of ways, which is tragic. Yeah. Now you sent uh, actually you sent us a copy here at uh, just right uh, a copy of Table for One in preparation for the last time you were on our show, which I believe was in two thousand and twelve, uh, three years yes. ago. It's been too long. Um, so you're working on yeah. chapter three of the Infidel now, is that right? Yeah, yeah, just about done. Uh, it was the, it's it's a long time between chapter two and three. I mean, this is only the third chapter. It, this is fifty five pages. I call it pig sized. It's a, a big issue in a lot of ways. A lot happens. This is, the, this is the game changer of the series, what happens at the end of this one for both worlds, for Pigman's world and for Killian's world. And uh, I've been working on this, on a, on a potential project with a publisher for years. Been trying to get a lockdown, finally got a lockdown, but the problem was that they kept telling us, soon, 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 it's going to happen, it's going to happen. So I put off the info because once that project came through, I had to dive into it. Mm-hmm. So it took literally three years. So I was waiting on a project and trying to do a little here and there, but finally I said, you know what, let me just get this out. And now I signed a contract with a publisher. I'm about to finish this issue and dive into that one. I can't talk about that, about the project. They, the publisher said they would like to uh, announce it next year, 
but it's a big project. It's a great project. I can't wait to do it. But issue three, as of right now, it should be out in June, but there's, there's something, there's a little hiccup on that. There's a potential investor who wants to invest in, uh, in my work and maybe wants to release that at a certain date, a little later date, for a reason. I can update that on Twitter and Facebook to anyone who's listening who's interested. Uh, I'll explain it a little further there. Where can people go to get your uh, your existing works? Uh, right now, it's uh, Faustin.blogspots. They can get my print books, uh, Prop Pig Ganda, Drawing the Line Against Jihad, which is the first print appearance of Pigman. It also has my first drawing of Muhammad in it as well. And uh, Table for One, which is uh, it's, it's a one night in an underground restaurant in New York City. Anything that can happen does happen. And I, I refer to it as Dirty Harry as a waiter. Dirty Harry as a waiter. That's right. my uh, pitch line. And uh, issue three will be out. Uh, again, I'm, I, I want to fight the investors and say, I want to get it out now, but we'll see how that goes. And also Comixology, which is the premier uh, digital comic book reading app. They accepted the Infidel. They have it on there. If you have an iPad, if you have any kind of ebook reader, it's ideal to read on there. And it's available. It's called the Infidel Pigman. Now, we only have a couple of minutes left, Bosch. I wonder if you can have a parting word um, to our listeners and to the people who might listen to this online um, about what they can do to um, to make themselves aware of the jihad, the war that is going on. Um, parting yeah. shot? I wouldn't, I mean, one thing, I was about to recommend reading the Quran, but I wouldn't recommend reading the Quran unless you're dedicated to finding out exactly what the enemy is up to, because it's, it's incredibly boring. It is repetitive beyond belief. I read it twice. I felt I had to go through my book. Mm-hmm. But I'd say read Robert Spencer's books. And if anything, if you read one book, read the Islam 101. Read the Muhammad 101. That way you get a really good understanding of what Islam is. And also there's a, a large essay on Robert Spencer's site, Jihad Watch, which is called Islam 101. It gives you the basics. You want to understand to a very, you know, a, a nice solid extent, you can read that. You can get a good idea of what we're facing. Is there anything on YouTube that they can watch? I know that I've met a few people, um, uh, Muslims actually, like Salim Mansour, um, Zudi Jasser, people like that. Who, and there's people like Rahil Raza here in uh, Toronto, uh, in Canada, that are that are doing good works to say, look, come out and promote freedom, promote freedom of speech. And they, these people are all in favor of freedom of speech. All, all the they way are, but, but but tragically, their religion isn't, and a lot of them don't acknowledge that. True. That's the problem I have with these. With these, the religion does not support freedom of speech. So while they may individually do that, they are good, decent individuals in, living in the West. Mm-hmm. The religion rejects that, and they don't talk about that enough. Uh, actually, which is why I refer to which is why I, I refer to Zudi Jasser's Islam as Zudi Jasserism. It's a subjectivist view. He's a decent human being, yes, but he does not talk enough about what Muhammad did what Muhammad calls for, and what the Quran calls for. So I, I, I really, if they were more honest, I'd respect them more. Mm. You, you know, we have one commentator here who's on our show a lot, a friend of ours who's, who's a Muslim, Salima Ansur, and amazingly, you know, uh, if, if you heard the Englishman describing himself as a true believer in the opening clip of our show today, he's talked about how he disliked women in general and the sovereign individual in particular. Well, Salim mm. is a guy who goes around saying we have to protect that that concept of the sovereign individual, but at the same time he sees Islam as undergoing a, a huge internal revolution 
And I think that many Muslims of his of his persuasion might feel that that's what they're waiting for, for, for the Islamic re- religion to go through what Christianity went through. And he says... Can, you I, know can, I, can I just, just say something? Because, yes. of the inherent, because of the inherent hostility of Islam, mm-hmm. the inherent hostility of Islam, the jihadists have to be put down by us to protect ourselves. No question first. on that, and Salim and, wouldn't and argue then, with you on that. And then, and then in the smoking ruins of that, civilized Muslims who are not devout can pretend to themselves what Islam might be in the future. Mm-hmm. They can say, well, we'll reject this, this, and this, and this, but only, only in that context, because we have to defend ourselves, wipe out the enemy who's trying to kill us. Then Muslims, who are human beings first, allow them. Then they can step back and say, okay. But that's the only time they will get a, a stay, because right now, they have no argument against ISIS. They have no argument against ISIS. I, Islam is on the side of ISIS, no matter what they say, no matter what they think. Well, that was a great note to end the show on, Bosch. I, I can't believe it. The hour has gone, and certainly you you, you put the lie to uh, to Michael Corrin's idea that there's no end game to all this, that you don't it's see definitely. an end game. Uh, clearly, you have one. Thank you once again for joining us, and uh, best of luck in all much. your endeavors. And we've got to go for another week, so join us again next week when we continue our journey in the right direction. Until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, and... Be right back here. We'll see you next week. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. But I've been to Lebanon, Jordan, Bahrain, Dubai. Uh, we're not going. I just said I've been there. It's not. <laughs> and when you go to the Middle East, uh, I, I've asked around. Why do they think? You know, why did you want to know why the you know, these stereotypes have to come from somewhere, so I'm asking around when I'm in the Middle East, I go, hey, why do they think you're crazy? And everybody said the same thing. You would, you would expect them to go, it's America, they're doing this to us, they make us look crazy. That's not who they blame. I go, why do they think you're crazy? They go, it's not us. I go, who is it? They go, it's the Saudis. They always blame you. I go, why do you blame the Saudis? Because they are crazy. You know Bin Laden? I don't know Bin Laden, first of all, all right? I... He's Saudi! Crazy! So it's your fault.